your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 597 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you're hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And the Rangers coming off of just an insane roller coaster of a Game 7 victory in overtime. Artemi Panarin, the hero, and it basically caps off what was an insane roller coaster of a first-round Stanley Cup playoff series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Rangers, for the third time since 2014, are down three games to one in a series, and they come back to win said series, and this is the second time that they've done it to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'll be honest, you know, as a Ranger fan, I'm certainly no fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's just kind of the cherry on the on the ice cream here. The, the fact that the Rangers came back against the Penguins, did this to the Pittsburgh Penguins for the second time in fairly recent history here. Uh, to me, though, the biggest thing that I kept coming back to, the, the thought that kept entering my head, you know, the Rangers are down three games to one. Uh, they get back into it with a game five win. It's now three games to two. They're creeping their way back into this series. The thought that kept coming into my head is the Rangers are too good, man. They're too damn good to be losing in the first round to this Pittsburgh Penguin team. I really do think the Rangers are the better team. Obviously, the Penguins are the more experienced team, the more uh, playoff battle-tested team, if you will. I mean, they got cup champions over there. Uh, the Rangers, besides Barclay Goodrow, who wasn't even playing in this game, and uh, also Sammy Blake who also was not playing. They don't have any former Stanley Cup champions, but I just kept thinking, man, the Rangers, they were too good this season. They responded to too much adversity. They crawled out of too many different holes uh, to just go down in the first round like this. And like I said, it's something that I'll repeat. It's something that I talked about after the Rangers won game five. You know, game five is just plodding along and the Rangers are down 2 nothing. It's late in the second period. And by no means was I giving up because as I said at the time, and I'll say it again right here, right now, I know better to give up on this Ranger team uh, by now. I know better than to do that. And so by no means did I think it was over, but as the host of this podcast, you know, game five, you're down two nothing. You might end up losing the series here in just five games, going out with a whimper. You know, I had to start thinking like, okay, how do I want to frame this? How do I want to talk about this? How do I kind of balance uh, the fact that the Rangers had such an excellent season with the fact that they turned in a terribly disappointing uh, showing in the first round of the playoffs? Of course, we know what happened next. The Rangers rebound from down Two to nothing in game five. They win that game. The same thing happens in game six. They're down two to nothing in that one. They come back and win that one on the road in Pittsburgh. And then in game seven here, down by a goal at home, all the pressure in the third period down to less than six minutes remaining, and Mika Zibanejad comes through with some big-time heroics, and then Artemi Panarin, uh, after Ke'Andre Miller draws a penalty in the overtime period, Artemi Panarin wins it on the power play. The fourth time was the charm for the Ranger power play unit, which scuffled uh, for the most part on the night, but came through when they needed it the most and just cannot say enough about just the guts and resilience of this team. And what I want to do, I want to start by kind of breaking down uh, the two big goals that the Rangers scored, of course, that being the game-tying goal from Mika Zibanejad and the game-winning goal from Artemi Panarin. And let me just say, you know, the Rangers, their star players, all had at best what could be considered up and down series uh, for this New York Ranger team. But you know, you look at 
the star players, and they came through when it counted the most. Uh, you know, I, in game six, you had Adam Fox with four assists. Uh, Kreider and Mika Zibanejad finally went off, finally, uh, you know, started playing some good hockey and the kind of hockey that we're expecting from them. And Artemi Panarin, who I thought really, really struggled in game seven. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I suggested in our last episode uh, the idea that maybe he's playing through something right now. He just has not looked like Artemi Panarin. Uh, you know, he's receiving passes that are right on the tape and he can't handle them or he's losing control of the puck or he's turned the puck over and, you know, maybe not clearing the zone in certain instances as well. I thought Panarin was really, really struggling. But I will say, you know, he's got the, the puck on his stick moving toward the net in the overtime period and getting ready to shoot. And I was hoping he would shoot and not pass. And man, did he come through clutch uh, just burying that shot, setting the Rangers to round two where they will indeed play the Carolina Hurricanes. And we'll get to that series in due time. Probably just going to mention, you know, a couple quick things at the end of today's episode. And we'll save, uh, you know, breaking down the Rangers and Kane series for a future episode. Definitely want to link back up with Jared Ellis of Locked On Carolina Hurricanes, get his thought thoughts on the series as well. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we got to start with these two goals. And first of all, before we kind of break down what happened on each of the two goals that the Rangers scored, Mika in the third period and Panarin in overtime, we got to talk about the freaking guts shown by Gerard Gallant in the third period of this game. Think about it. His team is down 3-2 to two in this period, season on the line. Penguins defending exceptionally well to start the third period. Rangers not really going anything offensively. The guts that this guy showed to juggle his lines, again, in the middle of Game 7, third period, down by a goal, need to score to keep your season alive, and he starts mixing and matching and you know trying to push the right buttons and trust what he's seeing and trusting in his own uh, judgment as far as what the line combination should be. Uh, the first example of this was we saw Alexi Lafreniere move from the third line up to the top line to play with Mika and with Kreider, and Frank Vitrano uh, moved down to the third line and took Alexi Lafreniere's spot. And in fact, Vitrano, I think it was just one shift, but Vitrano was out there on the fourth line, and he might have been kind of like double shifting at that point because uh, he was out there with Mott and with Rooney. Uh, Reeves was not on the ice at that time. And obviously, you know, Reeves isn't exactly the most uh, offensively gifted player. I mean, he can surprise you every now and then, but he's not really the guy you want on the ice when you're down by a goal. So we saw guys moving all over the lineup. And then the combination, the trio of Ranger forwards that were on the ice for this game-tying goal with five minutes and change remaining in the third period, you had Mika Zibanejad, who is typically on the Rangers' top line. You had Andrew Kopp, who is typically on the Rangers' second line. And you had Alexi Lafreniere, who is typically on the Ranger third line. He had a trio out there of three guys that very, very rarely play together. And it's another example. I, I, you know, I talked about this a couple of times throughout the regular season. It just seems like every time you can kind of scratch your head and maybe question what Gallant is doing, everything he touches just seems to turn to gold. And this was no exception here. That is for sure. So basically, you know, the Rangers had the puck in the offensive zone. They're, they're working hard to maintain possession. And I'm going to talk in greater detail about the whole helmet thing. You know, the Penguins are really, really upset about the helmet rule. And uh, they think that Alexi Lafreniere should have been called for a penalty. Basically, Lafreniere and Pedersen were tied up behind the Penguins' net. They're fighting for position, and Lafreniere's arm is kind of around Pedersen's head. They go down to the ice. Lafreniere ends up uh, pulling off Pedersen's helmet. We could debate if it was on purpose or not, and again, we'll get into that uh, in greater detail later in today's episode. But you know, the Penguins were complaining that that should have been a penalty against Alexi Lafreniere. To me, it was just two players engaged. But again, like I said, we're going to do a deep dive on that a little bit later in today's episode. But uh, Penguins were a little bit out of position as a result of that. He had to get to the bench. I think it was Latang who jumped on after that. Um, and we're going to talk more about that rule a little bit later. But for right now, we got to lock in on these goals that were scored by the New York Rangers. So uh, that all happened. Penguins are scrambling a little bit. 
Puck is along the boards. Andrew Kopp's trying to get it. He's behind a penguin who is, you know, the penguin is between uh, Kopp and the puck along the boards. And I don't know how he did it, but somehow Andrew Kopp fought his way to this loose puck, uh, you know, got past the penguin and was able to send a pass to Mika Zibanejad. Once Mika saw that Andrew Kopp was going to get to this puck, he kind of moved into, you know, a high danger scoring out area, excuse me, in the right face-off circle. Kopp dishes back to Mika Zibanejad. Mika just cranks a wrist shot into the twine. And just like that, the score is tied at 3-3. Three to three, And you know, watching this, it's crazy because, you know, my mom was visiting for the weekend and she's a huge Ranger fan. You know, I owe both my parents for getting me into this team. That is for sure. And, you know, she didn't really have a good feeling about the Rangers' uh, chances of tying this game because, you know, they were scuffling a little bit in the third period. And like I said, I thought the Penguins were playing outstanding defense to start the third. But I was a little bit more positive because, you know, I mean, you're down by a goal. It's You're just one scoring opportunity away. Sometimes that's all it takes and that was the case here. You, know, you get the puck to Mika in a spot like that on the ice, and you got a very, very good chance of scoring. And Mika, you know, again, scuffled for big parts of this series, but man, did this dude come up clutch in Game 6 and in Game 7, uh, tying the score here once again with five minutes and change remaining in the third period of Game 7. Does not get any bigger than that. I mean, a lot of people are going to remember the Panarin goal, and rightfully so and understandably so, but Panarin never gets that chance if not for Andrew Kopp uh, winning this board battle here, getting to the loose puck, and setting up Mika Zibanejad and Mika bearing his shot. Uh, just an accurate snipe over the glove of Tristan Jerry. Uh, we're just getting warmed up here on Locked On New York Rangers. I have no idea how I'm going to keep this to just 30 minutes today, but I suppose we'll do our best, and then we'll kind of have like a part two where I talk about anything that uh, maybe didn't quite fit into this episode. This episode is going to be absolutely bursting at the seams as well it should because uh, the Rangers obviously just completed one of the greatest comebacks in Stanley Cup playoff history. And that's something else that we're going to talk about in due time on today's episode. Uh, but for right now, just want to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That is what it is like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received my birthday cake puffs, and I have never had anything like this before. They're available right now, and we can't promise that they will be there tomorrow, so go get them today at Built.com. With 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of sugar, this limited-time flavor is an amazing option if you are looking for a healthy way to get variety and flavor into your day. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. And they are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Go to Built.com to get birthday cake puffs right now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKS15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So I mentioned, you know, that I was watching this game with my mom. Again, a huge Ranger fan. My parents, uh, you know, definitely got me into this team for sure. And it's funny because, like I mentioned, she wasn't so sure that the Rangers were going to tie it. I was kind of keeping the faith and just kind of 
thinking that, hey, you know, one scoring opportunity, we can tie this game, we can get into the overtime here at the very least. And of course, the Rangers actually played pretty well in the last few minutes of the third period to the point that you were even thinking that they might just win it in regulation, which would have saved us all a lot of stress, uh, but wouldn't have been quite as amazing as it was with the Rangers winning it in overtime. But when Mika scored the game-tying goal, I didn't make a sound. I just threw both of my arms into the air and just kind of looked at my mom and we just kind of like nodded like, okay, we got this. And uh, once it went into the overtime, you know, my mom was very, very optimistic that the Rangers were going to win as she was back in 1994 when the Rangers and Devils and the Eastern Conference Finals uh, went into game seven, into overtime, into double overtime. And of course, Matteau, Matteau, Matteau. Um, So that was awesome. But when the Rangers ended up winning this game and we'll break down the goal in just a second. Uh, But when Panarin shot and scored this goal, You know, it's very different from how I reacted to Derek Stepan a couple seasons ago. And, you know, with Derek Stepan, he scores the goal. I woke up my entire neighborhood just screaming, yelling, and everything. When Artemi Panarin scored this goal in overtime, I just went, yes. And I just, I was exhausted. This, to me, was one of the most emotionally exhausting Stanley Cup playoff series that I can ever remember because it goes back to something that I tweeted after game two. You know, the Rangers had just won that game to tie the series. And I said, you know, the the emotions are running very high for both of these fan bases. And I, I thought that it was very easy to see why. You've got this Penguin team who, you know, they're getting a little bit older, but the core is still intact. The guys that have won three Stanley Cups, Latang, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang and Malkin, both unrestricted free agents. Who knows what's going to happen there? But this was their... Uh, basically last chance. I mean, they could both be back. Who knows? But, you know, the Penguins, I think we're looking at it as this could be our last chance. And so Penguin fans, naturally, very, very emotionally invested in this team. They want one last big-time Stanley Cup playoff run, ultimately to a Stanley Cup championship for their team. Whereas Ranger fans, you know, they're the upstart team. And I think, you know, when you watch hockey this year and you watch all these different uh, hockey writers, analysts, experts, whatever it might be, podcast hosts, it just kind of feels like nobody has ever really taken this team seriously the entire season. And the people who watch this team night in and night out, like myself, like many of you, I mean, maybe not everybody watches all 82 games, but you know what I mean, the people that are watching the majority of the games, we know this is a damn good hockey team, man. And, And it goes back to what I was talking about just a second ago. They're too good to be knocked out in the first round. You know, this is a team that I think now that they're into the second round, Obviously, we all want this season to end with the Rangers lifting the Stanley Cup over their heads. That absolutely has a chance to happen. You're one of the last eight teams standing. You've at least got a shot at it. But I think winning this series and winning it in the fashion in which they did, uh, you know, coming from behind three games to one, being down by two goals in game five, being down by two goals in game six, and being down in the third period in game seven, uh, it just makes it, to me, one of the absolute most unbelievable stories and one of the greatest comebacks in Stanley Cup playoff history. That's another thing that I want to talk about real quick here. Where does this comeback, this series comeback by the New York Rangers, rank in terms of the greatest comebacks ever? I mean, really think about everything that they went through here. I think it's in the mix for the greatest Stanley Cup playoff series comeback that we have ever seen in the long and beautiful history of this league. And I realize, as I say that, there's probably a lot of people, uh, certainly general hockey fans and probably even some Ranger fans as well, that hear that and say, well, I mean, it can't be the best comeback ever because the Rangers were down 3-1, to one, and we've seen a handful of teams come back from 3-0 down uh, in the past. And that is true. You know, there there are teams that have dug themselves out of a three-goal hole to come back and win uh, their series. I believe it's now happened four times. So it happens very rarely. But, you know, the argument can definitely be made that the 3-0 series comebacks are more impressive and more unlikely than this. But 
Have any of those teams that have come back from 3-0 down, have they ever been in the situations that I just mentioned for the Rangers? Down two goals in Game 5, down two goals in Game 6, and down in the third period in Game 7, and then needing overtime to win in the Game 7 and eliminate uh, your division rival. I'm not so sure that they have, and I realize all those teams had to win an extra game, but to me, this Ranger team, this series against the Pittsburgh Penguins, this is right up there with the greatest comebacks in Stanley Cup playoff history. And maybe the 3-0 series are a little bit better because, again, they had to win four in a row as opposed to three in a row. But as far as teams that were down three games to one and came back and won the series, this has to be number one. What could possibly be better than this? And I include the other two uh, fairly recent 3-1 series comebacks that the New York Rangers have had. 2014 against the Penguins, winning two games in Pittsburgh, games five and game seven, uh, winning after being down three games to one against the Washington Capitals the final year. And, of course, the Rangers, game five in the Garden went into overtime. They won that. Game seven in the Garden went into overtime. They won that. To me, this is even better than both of those and probably better than any 3-1 series comeback that we've ever seen once again in the uh, long and just amazing history of this league. But yeah, with no further ado, let's go ahead and uh, break down this Artemi Panarin game winner, shall we? So Rangers on the power play, and I should actually back up for a second because just an unbelievable play by Ke'Andre Miller, uh, just getting to a loose puck in the neutral zone, exploding up the left side of the ice, going in, strong to the net, hard drive toward Tristan Jerry, and he is held, uh, you know, the... Pittsburgh defenseman kind of, uh, you know, had a little bit of an angle and grabbed at him. And I was thinking, oh, man, this could be a penalty shot. And it was not. And probably the right call because, you know, for a penalty shot, you have to have, like, a really clean break. You have to very clearly be behind the defense. And I'm not sure that Ke'Andre Miller was. And it's a tough call there because Ke'Andre Miller, you know, we saw him score in the shootout at least once this season. But he's a defenseman. He's not used to going in on breakaways. I mean, would you rather have the penalty shot or would you rather have the two-minute power play? Typically, I would say the penalty shot. But in this case right here, you know, given that it was Miller and obviously a ton of pressure, look, if you get stopped on that penalty shot, that's it. You don't get a power play. We're right back to 5v5 right where we came from. That's a really tough call. But I also had a gut feeling that this Ranger power play was due. They were 0 for 3 on the night. And it took almost this entire power play. I mean, there were only about 20-something seconds to go in the man advantage before uh, the Penguins were going to get back to full strength. But, you know, the play is ongoing. The Rangers had the puck in the Pittsburgh zone. Mika Zibanejad has the puck along the boards on the left side. And he tries to make a cross-ice pass to Artemi Panarin. Panarin is coming up to receive the pass. He can't quite get his stick on it, so it goes by him. But it bounces off the boards and comes right back to him. And so Panarin had enough time to corral the puck and uh, just kind of settle everything down there. Because if you watch this replay, every single player on the Penguins, the four penalty killers, they were all on Mika's uh, side of the rink. And so nobody was really all that close to Panarin. Nobody could really pressure him for the puck. They do eventually uh, apply some pressure to Panarin. But Panarin stayed calm with the puck. He kind of moved up the boards on the right side a little bit there, then stopped and uh, passed back to Adam Fox in the center of the ice near the blue line. You get Fox moving to his left a little bit. By this point, Artemi Panarin is circled back toward the blue line. Fox passes back to his right to Panarin. Panarin's got a little bit of room. You know, the closest Penguin penalty killer is not really all that close to him. And so he moves in, gets into the right faceoff circle, and just flicks a wrist shot into the twine. Everybody goes crazy. Garden explodes. Just an exhilarating, unbelievable ending to a just nail-biting, instant classic of a Stanley Cup playoff series, and really happy for Artemi Panarin to come through in the clutch there. Like I said, he scuffled in this game big time, and I think certainly was not at his best in this series, but man, you talk about coming through uh, in the clutch when your team needs you the most. And at this point, you know, again, I mentioned the Derek Stepan goal a few years ago. For this one, like I said, I, I basically just kind of collapsed and just said, yes, you know, we got it. We won. We got these guys. We're going around too. 
Penguins are done. We're moving on. And, you know, I just kind of, I hugged my mom at that point because, you know, she was, she was the same way. You know, we were both just completely relieved to get this win. And then I turned back toward the TV and I said, they're not going to review anything here, right? Right? Like, there's nothing they can possibly look at here. Any kind of obscure nonsense rule they can come up with and even try to find anything wrong with this goal here because there certainly wasn't any offside. There was no contact with Jerry whatsoever. And so the series was over. You knew it was over. The handshake line happens and uh, Rangers moving on to round two. And I will say this about Sidney Crosby because, you know, there's a Ranger podcast, Ranger fans. We don't really have a whole lot of nice things to say about Sidney Crosby more often than not. One thing I've really noticed with him over the years, anytime the Penguins are in the playoffs, uh, which is every year, by the way, whether they win or lose the series, whether they're playing the Rangers or somebody else, when he goes through the handshake line, he is extremely gracious uh, to the players on the other team. It seems like, you know, he always shakes hands and has a, a couple of words with just about every single player in the handshake line. And, you know, he doesn't really have to do that. There's a lot of guys that are just kind of zombies. You know, they just kind of go through the, 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 the handshake line and just shake hands. Good, good job. And, you know, they're, they're on to the next guy and, and that's it. But I have noticed that about Sidney Crosby over the years. Uh, I, for one, as a Ranger fan, am no fan of the way this guy acts on the ice. Just a lot of whining. Um, but be that as it may, again, I think he's always very gracious when it comes to the handshake line. And uh, this was no exception. Uh, obviously, the camera kind of followed him uh, through the handshake line. And, you know, always, always, uh, you know, very classy when it comes to uh, the handshakes. But uh, we got to keep talking about some more aspects of this game. There's uh, the helmet rule or, you know, the Penguins, they were uh, not too happy that Alexi Lafreniere wasn't called for a penalty. They're unhappy with the rule in general. The rule, of course, being that a player, when he loses his helmet, again, you either have to pick the helmet, back up, put it back on, or you got to go to the bench and, uh, you know, come off the ice. And that, of course, played something of a role in the Rangers tying this game, but we're going to break that all down in just a second. First, just want to let everybody know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by BetOnline.net. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, just want to thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. One other thing that I forgot to mention about the Panarin goal, and I'll mention it real quick here before we move on to some other things, uh, certainly uh, the helmet rule and all the controversy that came from that. Um, but when this power play was happening, you know, my mom and me, again, I'm watching the game with my mom, and, you know, we both were kind of down on the way Panarin was playing so far in that game. And so uh, I said uh, during the power play, I said, watch Panarin win the game here. And I swear to God, that is true. That's exactly what I said. I don't know if I actually believed it because, you know, like we were talking about, this was not a great series for Artemi Panarin. He got his points here and there, but he just never looked like the dominant player that we all know him to be. And it does, again, leave me wondering if maybe he's playing through something right now. The nice thing about this, like I said earlier, Panarin and the rest of the Rangers stars who maybe were not at their absolute best in this series, they get a reprieve. They get a whole new lease on life uh, because there's a whole new best of seven series coming up against an outstanding Carolina Hurricanes team. So they have a real chance to flip the script here and just kind of make everybody forget about, uh, you know, maybe what was a lackluster first series for at least some of these players. 
Okay, on to the officiating, and I realize the refs were certainly a hot-button topic for really both fan bases and really uh, fan bases around the entire league because it's not always as good as it can be. I thought it was not good at all in this series. I think the Penguins ended up getting more uh, breaks as a result of the officiating than the Rangers did. As the series went on, you know, the Rangers got a call or two maybe a little bit later in this series. Uh, there was a play in game six where it looked like Lindgren may have been called for cross-checking. You know, that could have been the call, and they didn't call it, and instead they got Rodriguez uh, when he retaliated. So that's just one example of a call going the Rangers' way, although, I, again, like I said, I think the majority of the calls in this series certainly went the Penguins' way. Um, but in this instance here, again, this is what led to the Rangers tying the game, or at least certainly played a role in the Rangers tying the game. You've got uh, Pedersen and Lafreniere, uh, you know, engaged behind the Penguins' net. And as I talked about earlier, you know, Lafreniere's got his armor on him. Pedersen's helmet comes off. Pedersen has to leave the ice, and the Rangers end up scoring the game-tying goal. Now, first of all, let me just read the rule here, just so that there's no uh, gray area here. We all know what we're talking about. This is not a rule that really comes up all that often, so I think it's important to see how it's worded and uh, how it might apply to a situation such as this. This is the NHL rulebook under Section 9.6. It says, A player on the ice whose helmet comes off during play shall be assessed a minor penalty if he does not exit the playing surface or retrieve and replace his helmet properly on his head, with or without his chin strap fastened, within a reasonable period of time. It is reasonable if a player who is making a play on the puck or who is in the vicinity of the puck and engaged in the play at the time his helmet comes off takes the opportunity to complete the play before either exiting the ice or retrieving and replacing his helmet. And again, you know, Lafreniere, he's engaged. You got to understand something here. The refs are not going to call a penalty in the last few minutes of a game seven of a tie game. They're just not going to do it. And we could debate all day here whether that's right or wrong. There were a lot of things that happened late in this third period here. A couple of penalties that could have been called against the Penguins in the last couple of minutes. You know, there was a hold on Artemi Panarin that was certainly missed when Panarin had the puck behind the Penguins net. So there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of whistle swallowing going on uh, toward the end of this game for sure. The only time they were going to call a penalty is if it was absolutely blatant as it was when, uh, you know, Keandre Miller drew the holding penalty in the overtime period. But beyond that, they're not going to call it. This is two guys tussling behind the net, in a one-goal game, in a game seven, the last few minutes, they're not going to, like, you know, say, oh, that was definitely on purpose, Lafreniere to the penalty box. It's just not going to happen. And I don't think it really was on purpose. Like we said, they were engaged. If Lafreniere did this on purpose, then that kid is wise beyond his years because he's only 20 years old. If he actually thought in his head here, like, wow, I'm engaged with Pedersen, I'm going to yank his helmet off of his head because I know that that means that he has to go to the bench and that could create an opening for us. I mean, do you really think Alexi Lafreniere is thinking about that in that situation in the game? I suppose it's at least possible, but I have a really hard time believing this. I mean, if I'm 20 years old and I'm playing in a Stanley Cup playoff game and my team is down by one goal in the third period, late in the third period, no less, I'm thinking about what can I do to help my team score a goal here. Not what rule can I manipulate here to create a little bit of an opening for our, our team. That's just me. Penguin fans probably have a different take on it. That's fine. There's not a whole lot that Ranger fans and Penguin fans agree with anyway, but the idea that they were going to call this penalty on Alexi Lafreniere in a situation like this, it just, it's not going to happen, guys. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what else to tell you. It's, they're not going to call a penalty like that in a situation such as this. And the Penguins were certainly not happy about what happened after this game. You had Mike Sullivan, Tristan Jerry, and Sidney Crosby all speaking out about the play and even the rule itself. And before I dive into uh, some of the things that these guys said, let me pose a question to everybody. When is the last time, have you ever, in fact, heard anybody complain about this rule before 
this game last night. Now, we could debate this. Is this a good rule? Is this a bad rule? You know, there's obviously an emphasis on player safety, and they don't want guys continuing to play when their helmet is off. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on preventing head injuries whenever possible, and rightfully so. But, you know, in a situation like this, I'm also wondering, you know, why didn't Pedersen just pick up his helmet and put it back on? And I realize that takes time, too. And, you know, Pedersen would have to take himself out of the play uh, for at least a couple of seconds to do that. But, I don't know, the helmet was right there. To me, that beats the alternative. If you're Pedersen, you know, pick up the helmet, put it back on. You're going to be able to do that quicker than you're going to be able to get to the bench and have, you know, the next defenseman jump onto the ice. Uh, in this case, Chris Letang. So, I don't know why he didn't just do that. But, yeah, Tristan Jerry, this is what he had to say about it after the game. I think that's a rule made by the NHL that could be changed. I don't think many injuries happen when players play without helmets. I think it's something that it's cost us. I think that if he doesn't lose his helmet, he comes back to the net and he plays the guy out front. I think that's a nothing play. Well, be that as it may, uh, that's not the way that it unfolded, obviously. And, you know, the one thing that I take issue with Jerry saying there, I don't think many injuries happen when players play without helmets. Oh, so not many. Just a few is okay. We can have guys, you know, have uh, career-altering concussions. Just because it doesn't happen that often, it's fine if they play without helmets. To me, it's a good rule. Mike Sullivan, after the game, says, I think it stinks. He has to come off. His helmet got pulled off intentionally, but that's the rule. And again, I see no way possible to determine that this was 100% intentional. Again, they were engaged behind the net, and I just have a hard time believing that again, a 20-year-old in a Game 7 here is thinking about pulling off somebody's helmet to create an opportunity for his team. I just don't think that that's the kind of thing that spur of the moment, you know, in the heat of battle here, is something that's going to run through your head. I could be wrong about that. Maybe Lafreniere has always had that move in his back pocket. Like, if I'm in a tie game or a close game, a big game, and, I, you know, my team needs an opportunity, then maybe I'll pull that out of my back pocket here. But again, I, I just have a very hard time believing that. And then finally, Sidney Crosby himself weighed in as far as uh, this play and the rule itself. And I'm not going to read the whole quote here, but I'll read the part about, um, you know, the rule. Uh, Crosby said, but tonight was an example of one game and anything can happen. And we didn't get that extra goal there late in the game. And, you know, a terrible rule ends up probably being the difference in the game. And, you know, where was Crosby and where were the rest of the Penguins and where has anybody in the NHL been as far as, you know, taking issue with this rule? And admittedly, maybe it's possible that players on the Penguins had spoken out about this rule before, but I don't think that's the case more likely than not. I mean, I think to me, the Penguins are all saying this is a terrible rule because they lost in part to this rule. All of a sudden, this rule sucks and it's no good. It's a good rule. You don't want guys out there without helmets. They are trying to prevent head injuries as much as they possibly can. That's the long and short of it. Rangers won the game. And yes, maybe it was in part due to uh, the fact that a helmet was lost. But I really don't care because pretty much everything else went the Penguins' way in this series. There was a goal in this game that went the Penguins' way. This happened when uh, the score was 1-1. to -one. Uh, second period, you've got Jake Gensel scoring an unbelievable goal. I mean, I got to give props where it's due here. Uh, the Penguins worked the puck to Gensel. And, you know, Gensel is in front of the Ranger net. He's kind of running out of real estate here. Gensel is somehow able to use, I believe it was his right skate, to knock the puck into the air to himself and then bats the puck out of the air into the net to give the Penguins a 2-1 to lead. He almost treated it like a hacky sack. You know, knocked it into the air, batted it in with his stick. But, you know, that very easily could have been a high stick, and that goal very easily could have been disallowed. They reviewed it. Naturally, it was not disallowed. I don't. I didn't really have a lot of hope. You know, it's one of those things where uh, the one camera angle, the one that was kind of behind the play, I thought... It was pretty clear that his stick was above the crossbar. Not by a lot, but at least by a little bit. 
uh, when he made contact with the puck and when he knocked it into the net. And this is a goal that I thought could have and maybe even should have been disallowed. But like I said, when they were reviewing it, I didn't have a whole lot of hope because for most of this series, when there have been reviews like this, it has not gone the Ranger way. Of course, this did not go the Ranger way either, but the Rangers, they just won't give up. I think us fans and podcast hosts and, and writers and everybody else who follows this team, we were more fixated on the officiating and you know the bad breaks and this stuff and that stuff than the Rangers were. The Rangers just kept playing hockey through this series, and that's why they are now moving on to play the Carolina Hurricanes in round two. And the Canes are a great team. They're a team that's been knocking on the uh, door of a potential championship the last few seasons. Rangers are really at their work cut out for them. Of course, the Canes bounced the Rangers out of the bubble a couple of years ago. That was the sixth seed versus the 11th seed in the qualifying round, and the Canes swept them in the best of five, three games to none, knocked them right out of the playoffs. But the Rangers are a far, far better team now than they were then, and I expect this to be just an excellent series, and I can't wait to you know break it down, get the series underway. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll take a day off here. I'll take even tomorrow off. Tomorrow's Tuesday. We'll take a couple of days to kind of regather ourselves as Ranger fans after all this insanity, but definitely looking forward to puck drop game one in rally on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then the only other play that I want to talk about in this game here, and like I said, we're going to have, this is almost going to be like a two-parter. We got more to talk about from this game, and I just want to offer my final thoughts on just this incredible series win for the New York Rangers, and also start to look ahead to the Carolina Hurricanes as well, and just see, you know, what challenges they present. But I wanted to mention this play in the second period, because the Rangers, you know, they were on the power play, it was getting to the tail end of the power play, and the second unit was on the ice for the New York Rangers. And you had Philip Heedle, who I think has played a really good series for the Rangers, even in this game last night, kind of early in the game. Uh, he looked really good for the blue shirts. Um, but he's got the puck, you know, just inside the Ranger blue line. He tried to make a pass over to his left. I believe Capo Caco was the intended target. But unfortunately, Evan Rodriguez jumps it. He knocks the puck away. He goes in uh, on a breakaway behind the Ranger defense, and he beats Igor Shesterkin, which is 2.36 remaining in the second period. It ended up being uh, just barely a shorthanded goal because uh, the Ranger power play was just about to expire. But, yeah, that could have really been bad. And I'm really, really happy that the Rangers – I mean, obviously I'm happy they came back to win this game. But one of the biggest reasons is that would have been really, really unfortunate for Filipino. I mean, if the final score of this game was 3-2 – to two, and that goal by Rodriguez that came as the result of a Filipino turnover, if that was the final goal of this game, that would have really stuck to Filipino, which is really, really unfortunate. I think uh, you know certain Ranger fans, not all, but at least some on Twitter, would have uh, you know been directing their ire toward Filipino, and now everybody's going to basically forget about it because the Rangers came back and won this game in just absolutely dramatic, amazing, unbelievable fashion. Uh, we are going to, like I said, talk more about uh, the this series, just kind of put a bow on it in our next episode as well as look ahead to the Carolina Hurricanes series in round two here. But that will do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Thanks for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NHL. From second round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts.